Hello and welcome back to the Under Pressure Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jake Barker, and we're back in year three for our second episode in, in year three. Uh, we had Bo Wars from the uh, West Coast Eagles on our last episode in the 40th episode. Um, on today's show, our guest played 47 games for the Sydney Swans between 2011 and 2018, uh, where he mainly played across halfback and was also a part of uh, the Premiership in 2012, in which they defeated the Hawks. Alex Johnson, welcome to the Under Pressure podcast, mate. Thanks for having me, Jake. Uh, yeah, it's been a long time in, in the making of me coming on here. I think <laughs> more, on my part, lack of organisational skills and just, you know, few Instagram messages that uh, never landed anything anyway we've uh, we've got here in the end so it's it's good to be here thanks for having me on no no worries I won't I won't let you take the full brunt it was both it was, it was both of us it was both of us definitely. yeah there was two there was two I'd say <laughs> <laughs> no no stress at all and as we were chatting before a record uh record number of uh ACL injuries on the uh on the zoom call today so I reckon that no one's going to top up top the uh, amount that we have here so uh be yeah, interesting to talk about true. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I think it's it's ten between us. So uh, yeah. definitely not stable knees on this conversation. <laughs> no, not at all. Now, just uh, just to get started, what are you doing with yourself at the moment? Uh, so I've just opened a, uh, a spin studio, an indoor cycling studio in Armidale in in Melbourne. So I opened that um, in June last year, and yeah, I'm, I'm currently there. I've just done a session. That's why I'm a little bit little bit sweaty. Um, <laughs> so yeah, been brought it down from Sydney to different concept it's called infinite cycle um and it's uh yeah in that health and fitness space which has always been a a huge passion of mine obviously playing footy and always been interested in fitness and health growing up um so yeah this opportunity came up through a sort of friend of mine i used to play footy with um years ago and he gave me a call and said would you be interested in having a look at it anyway one thing led to another and here we are so Definitely uh, not the ideal time to be opening a business midst COVID. And I think I was open for six weeks and then a little lockdown, open for another four days and then that four-month lockdown hit. So momentum for a new business hasn't been ideal. Um, but anyway, we're, we're back now and things seem a little bit more steady and a little bit more normal with, with COVID. So hopefully we can just build from here. Yeah, that's wonderful. What type of stuff do you do um, at Infant Cycle? Well, yes, yeah, so as it as it sounds, it's a yeah. um, spin studio. We are a bit bit different to what's on the market. We use a um, bit of a different bike that's actually from the states, and the bikes move twenty two degrees either way. So, oh, wow. it just gives you a little bit um, more of a realistic feel of what it what it feels like to ride a bike on the road. And I mean, you get more bang for your buck, I suppose. In a forty five minute session, you can you can burn some serious calories. It is pretty intense. Um, but the beauty about spin, I mean, obviously being I've spent a hell of a lot of time in a in a cycling indoor cycling room and not not too much to look at. So yeah. this is all interactive. It's all immersive on screen. So you've actually got an avatar and you you sort of follow along in makeshift landscapes and things like that. So it's technology driven and yeah, it's pretty cool. But um, just the, no impact on the knees. So you know, I'm, I'm sort of I think my record this with this business is 15 or 16 sessions in a week um, <laughs> as an instructor. So. <laughs> uh, my knees are holding up pretty well. I'm, I'm reasonably fit, which is nice. And yeah, there's just not that impact there, which is which is great for everyone. And and yeah, that's that's wonderful. And still keeping yourself fit and, and everything like that. I, I don't. Do you reckon you can top that 16? I reckon that's a, it's going to be hard. No, to no, that was not by choice. That was just lack of uh, <laughs> lack of employees, I suppose, and availability of other instructors. So I'll sort of you know, when it's your own business, you've got to put your hand up when when things yeah. need to happen. And um, that was it. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, I don't. I don't really want to top that again. Um, but yeah, <laughs> of course, at the end of that. But yeah, I've definitely, uh, definitely keeping myself fit. That's for sure. 
yeah, no, nah, that's good to hear, mate. Good to hear. Um, well, let, let's get let's get straight into it all. Um, early days, but even before before you got drafted, um, did you have any, did you have any injuries before you even got drafted into the AFL, or was it purely just in in the career that you had? No, not really. I just saw sort of you know just little niggles here and there as a kid. I had an ankle reconstruction after um, draft camp, actually. So yeah, I'd had yeah. sort of ankle injuries throughout, and then done a reasonably severe ankle injury when I was playing at state level in the under 18 carnival. Mm. Um, and then I sort of, I'd spoken to a few clubs and wasn't sure where I'd go. And I thought I need to be a draft camp. I need to, you know, and I was, I was a reasonable runner. So I sort of thought mm. I'll do well on the beat test and then do well on the 3k. Anyway, I ended up rolling my ankle in the beat test. So I couldn't do the 3k, which is the only reason I was there. Oh. I'm not quick. I can't jump, but I can run long distances. Okay. So that was yeah. sort of, I thought if I could win the 3k, I might, you know, improve my draft chances. Anyway, it didn't happen. I did my ankle, uh, the B test, which is yeah, the afternoon before the three K, and then went in for surgery the next week, um, just to just to get stabilised. And then never had an issue, never had an issue with that ankle ever again. So, um, yeah, I suppose that was the only really significant injury before before being drafted. Oh wow, that's that's. <laughs> I mean, it sounds significant, but obviously, yeah, as as you said, you haven't had any troubles with it since then. Yeah. So it's been it's been pretty good. Um, yeah, and it's one of those, one of those, sorry, Kay, it's one of those things no, no, you, you don't want. I sort of tried to avoid surgery as much as I could and then just spoke yeah. to a few and they said, you may as well get it done. It's not invasive. But, I mean, it puts you behind the eight ball as soon as you get there. Once I got drafted, I couldn't do anything for for a couple of months. They were really cautious <laughs> with the uh, – sorry, my dog's in the background. <laughs> no, you're right, man. <laughs> no, um, I'm good. The uh, – so, yeah, you're sort of buying the eight ball. I couldn't run for a couple of months. And because you're young, they take it really conservatively. So I didn't run until about January or February when I actually got there. But, um, but yeah, that, that's sort of the, the main injury that I had growing up. Yeah. That's, I was going to say, with, with, with getting drafted, the, were the clubs wary of, of that, obviously, doing it in the camp? Were they, were they worried at all? Did you get any clubs that were a bit worried about taking you because of, because of what just happened? I mean, a little bit. I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I assume there would have been a couple of clubs scared off. I think growing that sort of 17, 18th year, I would yeah. have spoken to, I think, all the clubs except for the Gold Coast were coming in. I didn't speak to them and maybe two others. So yeah, I spoke yeah. to probably 13 or 14 clubs. So I knew there was a little bit of interest there. But, I mean, as it played out, obviously, I got drafted to Sydney. They were the ones that showed the most interest. And they called me after surgery and just sort of said, oh, how's it all going? And I sort of thought, you know, I'm very much a homebody and, you know, a really close family and things like that. And mum was like, tell them to bugger off. Like, we don't, we don't want you going to Sydney. <laughs> anyway, I, I, had, uh, I had really close contact with them throughout, you know, that whole recovery period. So I thought, oh, they're, they're pretty interested. But no, just because it, it was a very basic stabilisation procedure, no one, you know, it seems like no one was really worried. And I mean, as it turned out, Sydney weren't worried at all. Oh, well, that, that's, I mean, that's always good news to hear, especially, yeah. obviously, probably not good news for your mum, but. Uh... Yeah, that's right. <laughs> still, uh, still getting over it, I think, 11 years later. <laughs> that, that's it. Now, just just for the listeners, um, before we sort of continue continue on, can you sort yep. of, um, and sorry to make you sort of relive and, and talk about all this as well, um, can you run us down what, what, you, what injuries you had through, through your AFL career and... Um, just yeah, just give us a, a quick rundown of bef- before we get into diving into things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so basically, um, 
I got drafted at the end of 2010. Um, yeah, just after you know, I sort of I got pick pick 57. I was um, so yeah, sort of a little bit um, down the back end of the draft, which was fine. I sort of I'd never had an issue with it. I wasn't the most talented kid going up, but I sort of knew if I could get on a list, then I'd have all the resources at my fingertips and that full time environment. I'd really thrive in. Um, and then, yeah, played 2011, played 2012, as you mentioned before, really successful year that year. I played every game in that premiership season, um, which was, yeah, unbelievable. At, you know, the age of 20 to, yeah. to sort of already be at the pinnacle of the AFL was, was really special. Um, and, a, you know, you know, formidable bunch of guys and a great team and all that. Um, and then, yeah, the next pre-season, 2013, completed all the pre-season, you know, played, played every sort of, yeah, done everything possible to, to get myself in a position to sort of advance my personal game to the next level. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, just, just went down with a knee injury against the Gold Coast in our third pre-season game um, out of Blacktown, which is yeah one of the worst places in Sydney that, you know, not many people <laughs> would know if they've ever been to Sydney. It's about an hour northwest and it's, um, yeah, I don't have too many fond memories of Blacktown now, but, yeah, just stepped off my left um, to tackle Jago Miro, who was at the Gold Coast at that time and just it felt mm. my knee buckle and, that was sort of the start of the, the journey, I suppose. And then um, that led to, I ended up having five knee reconstructions between that pre-season game in 2013 and eventually making it back um, to the AFL level in round 21, 2018. So, yeah, it was a, it was a long time out of footy. Yeah, no, definitely, mate. Definitely. Sorry to make you go through that all again, but yeah. No, no, so, no that's right. Um, yeah, no, it, it always starts somewhere, doesn't it? And you, you, that's, and that, I mean, you learn so much along the journey. Um, yep. When you did your first one, um, did you know, or what you what were your initial thoughts um, when no, you went down? No, you don't know. I suppose I was I just turned twenty one the week before. You know, as I said, you know, coming off a a full season the season before premiership, I thought, oh, brilliant. You know, I'm gonna, I want to turn myself into one of the premier key defenders in the competition really I put on a few yeah. more kilos a bit more size got stronger and you know wanted to start taking on these big name players um and then yeah just something just buckled the pain at the start as you know you've done a few the pain for me at the start was excruciating for about 30 seconds mm. and I remember um Goodsy coming over he's like oh you're right and I was like yeah I think I'm I think I'm all right anyway they'd already called the stretcher and I sort of I still look back on this and think what a wimp I should have just walked off <laughs> anyway because because they had because yeah. they've got to practice all their protocols too and they're like no no we'll get the yeah. stretcher out we need to practice for in season it's sort of their dress rehearsal for the real thing as well um yeah exactly. anyway I got to stretch it off I was lucky that it was out of Blacktown there was about four people there so no one no one not too many people saw it live which was nice um but anyway, then you're in the rooms just with the doctor. He you know, does the Lockman test, which mm. for anyone that doesn't know, anyone that uh, has done an ACL knows the Lockman test very well. It becomes the number one test pre, post, op. Every time you see anyone that wants to have a play around with your knee, they do the Lockman. Yeah. And that's where they pretty much shift your lower limb away from your upper limb and see if there's an end point. Anyway, he did that and straight away he just said there's no end point. Um, you know, the ACL is obviously the ligament that runs in the middle of the knee and, and helps that lateral movement, helps the knee stabilise when you do try and shift laterally. He just said, yeah, there's no end point. And I was up and walking and running around in the rooms and said, no, I think, you know, I think I should be fine. He's like, oh, I've been doing this for 25 years. I've seen enough of these. I think um, I think you've, you've done your ACL. For me, 
you don't you're not sure what that is at, at that age. I'd never mm. Nick Melchester had done one in my first year. Yeah. Um great mate of mine. He was my mentor in my first year, you know, helped me a lot to settle in and things. He'd done one and obviously had a history with them. So I sort of knew a little bit about it, but um not too much. And then you sort of then you think then everything just turns to I want to get back as quick as possible. What do I do? Um so yeah, you just sort of go into you know, manic mode, I suppose, to try and figure out what to do. Speak to as many surgeons as you can, get as much advice as you can. But at 21, they're speaking a foreign language. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now I feel as though I could probably do the surgery. I've spoken to that many surgeons and <laughs> seen so many different things about it. Um, but, yeah, at that time, you, you just it's just a whirlwind, really. And and then, obviously, they're sort of saying you, you'll face 12 months on the sideline and you think, you know, 12 months at that age is just an absolute eternity. So... Um, yeah, it's definitely a hard pill to swallow, but it's just one of the strangest injuries because you can you can live a normal life. Really, I felt fine the next day. Um, you know, you're, you you can sort of do what you want to an extent, yeah. but but play footy, and that's that's the reason I was in Sydney, and that's sort of all I wanted to do at that point. Yeah, no, that's it. And you're right; like it, it's such a strange injury because you, you can almost just walk normally, <laughs> like yeah. the, the day after, and it's just yeah, what, what like what's going on. Um, yeah, exactly right. And that's the thing. If you, if you don't do any – that first ACL injury I did, I did no other damage. I just completely ruptured the ACL. Ah, okay. Yeah. No cartilage damage, no medial, no posterior, nothing. So I was absolutely fine the next day and mm. walking around, you know, slight bone bruising, which you'd get, you know, in a normal game anyway. Yeah, um, sure. But, yeah, just, just – and, yeah, you just – you see, it's just sort of – you just can't believe it really because you can – walk around, you feel like you can run and you sort of think that the doctors have got it wrong. But, you know, the, the days that follow, you get scans and things and it becomes pretty clear what your, what your fate is, I suppose. Oh, yeah, exactly right. Did you, did you find, um, you mentioned Nick Malcheski did one in your, in your first year. Was he, um, especially when you did your, your first one, did you find him as, he, was he your mentor through that as well? Or did you lean on other guys as well? Did you lean towards anyone? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, Nick was Nick was great for me, given that he'd been through a few. The the one that um, probably helped me the most in terms of player, and you know, he's one of my great mates, is Ray Shaw. Yeah, his uh, his first one's probably not that well documented, but he did he did a first one back in two thousand two, I think, at Collingwood. So early on in oh, his okay. career, mm. he'd done one, um, and then subsequently ended up doing another one in two thousand and fifteen, I think, um, towards wow. the end of his career with us. So. Yeah. Um, you know, it was sort of 12, 13 years between both his injuries. But, yeah, he was huge for me. Um, he was massive, you know, throughout my career. You know, with with Nick going down with his ACL in my first year, Reese sort of became more more my mentor. But, yeah, those those two guys were awesome to to be able to lean on and um, just give a little bit of advice. I think that's the that's the biggest thing. At, at the start, you sort of, you know, I was, I was pretty stubborn and pretty driven that I was like, oh, I can deal with this on my own. But... As time went on um, and sort of the, you know, one year turned into five pretty quickly, you start to realise that you actually can't do it on your own and you need you need the support around you. So, yeah, someone like Ray Shaw is, is you know, he's been massive for me, um, you know, in my footy stuff, but also my life as well. Mm, no, it is great to have those, anyone, like family, friends, um, and you, you do realise at a young age that it, it does take more than, it does take more than just you to, to, to get oh. through it. Yeah, um, yeah, just, and then yeah. yeah, outside the footy club, the you know my my family's as I mentioned before, really tight family. I've got an older brother and an older sister, and 
you know, and mum, you know, I don't think mum missed one of my surgeries um, throughout my career. She was up in Sydney mm. whenever I needed all those things. So that's something that made it a lot easier as well. You know, you are you are isolated a lot up there. In saying that, I think out of the 40, I ended up playing 47 games. I think dad missed one live or something. He used to fly around the country. He thought it was absolutely <laughs> brilliant that I was playing. And um, the support I've had from them throughout everything has been, you know, amazing really. Mm. No, and it does really help you get through it as well. Like as like as many as you've done, as many as we've done, like it's they, they it really does help. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Now with the rehab, how, how did you find how did you find the rehab early days, especially being a young guy who probably hadn't had too many uh, besides the the ankle Rico, probably not too many injuries prior to that. Was it a bit of a yeah whirlwind as you used before like to to get through all the stuff that you need to get through in that in that 12 months yeah absolutely I think it's um I mean my first rehab was was interrupted as you know the first sort of four reconstructions ended up being interrupted but mm. I it's one of those things where you start to feel good and you you want to go quicker and I mean there's a sort of mm. it's starting to change a little bit now but there's that's you know you shouldn't you shouldn't be doing agility before five or six months or you shouldn't do you know, different things, but you feel like you can. If you can run, you sort of feel like you'd be able to do that. So followed traditional plan, you know, got back on a bike within a few weeks and then um, started running at 12 weeks of that first re rehab. Mm. Um, and then, you know, knee blew up, started not responding that well. Probably, I probably got two or three weeks into that running program and things yeah. just weren't responding. And um, we sort of started to think, you know, there might be something going on here. There's a time throughout that first or second rehab where I was getting like, you know, hundred to 200 mil drained out of my knee on a weekly basis. And for anyone that wow. knows knees, you should never have more than sort of two or three mil in your mm. knee at any time. You need obviously a little bit to loosen up the joints and lubricate the joint, but yeah, hundred to 200 mil is just outrageous. So there was clearly something, something missed there and something going on. Um, and then I spoke about the, the time thing before when I first went down I went and saw a couple of different surgeons. Mm. I was in a rush, you know, I was sort of, I think that's a big <laughs> yeah. thing as you, you always are. I think when I got to Sydney, they sort of said, you know, I was an 80, 80 kilo skinny kid and they're like, you know, just bide your time and you'll, you'll play when you're ready. And I was like, no, I want to play as soon as I can. As soon as I'm in that environment, I want to play. And, you know, ended up playing early in my career, which sort of no one expected. Um, and then it was the same with the knee. I was like, I want to get back as soon as I can, obviously, Nick Malcheski the year before had got back in 11 weeks with the Lars. And I thought, right, if it's 11 weeks, Brian, I'll play the second half of the year and, you know, we'll win another flag. So <laughs> when I saw someone about Lars and they said, yeah, we can do it. And then, you know, I spoke to a few different people and they're like, you're 21, just, just take a, take a breath. Lars isn't proven. Try traditional. So I did a try traditional. And then, yeah, as I, as I said, got mm. three and a half months into that rehab, wasn't working. So then went down the Lars path. Um, <clears throat> And that probably complicated things a little bit more. I mean, I've spoken to a lot of people now ask me, would you would you do Lars again? And there's no way I'd ever touch Lars again. And a lot of I've had a few young guys, you know, just message me on on Instagram or get my number through mutual friends or whatever, and they say, Oh, I really want to get back. Yeah, I understand that, but you may as well take your time and the and the time for traditional is actually coming down anyway. So yeah. you'd be better doubling that time to if you get back in nine months, fantastic. But Lars is not a long-term option. Um, mm. It's something, yeah, I wish I could go back and change, but, you know, hindsight's a beautiful thing and you're never yeah. sort of able to go back and actually um, 
it was a decision I made at the time, and that's you know that's something that I I didn't only make it once; I did last three times. So I must have been an idiot to do it. But um, <laughs> is that it was that time pressing thing? You know, you don't have you know you don't have forever in the in the AFL system, and um, you know I spent more time on the sideline than the average career length. So I was really lucky how I was looked after. But yeah, I. I just tried to do everything possible to try and get back as quick as possible. Of course. I mean, yeah, as a, as a young guy, you're just wanting to play. And as you said, that, that's all you want to do. That's what you're there for. Um, yeah. Take it, actually, can you take us through what is the process for Lars? Because I, I haven't had anything to do with any Lars operations or anything like that. What, what, what do they do differently? What, what's, the, what's the process for it? If you, if you know... Uh, Minimal stuff. Yeah, and I'm, I'm an expert now. Yeah, <laughs> true. Three times. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, um, and there's yeah. sort of this the Lars. It can it comes from France, I think. They used it in soccer a fair bit over in Europe. Mm. The idea behind it is that it's a synthetic ligament. So yeah, as I said before, that the ACL is a ligament that runs through the middle of your of your knee joint, runs behind yeah. a patella, sort of on a diagonal, and it it helps that lateral movement. Um, in terms of what the actual ligament, the ligament itself is made out of synthetic material. So the idea is that it's completely strong as soon as it goes in. Mm. So you don't have to worry about waiting for change. Whereas the traditional, you know, usually either takes a hamstring tendon, a patella tendon or a quad tendon. Yep. And that then takes a process of about, they sort of reckon it's three to five months to actually change from a tendon into a ligament. So it sort of strengthens and then becomes the ACL, the, the cruciate ligament. So that Lars is, yeah, just that, just that synthetic. So the, the first one I had, I'd the, I'd had a hamstring um, tendon reconstruction. Um, so the idea with the Lars is that it doesn't hamper any other part of your body. Whereas gotcha. yeah. you, okay. if, you do, if you use a hamstring tendon, it feels like you've torn your hamstring for two months because they've actually cut your hamstring. Yeah. So they, you've got sort of five or six tendons in there and they take one of those big tendons out yeah. and you've got a, you know, you've effectively got a hole in your hamstring, which I still do now. I've, I think I've used both hamstrings now. I think I've, I don't have much <laughs> left in terms of what I could actually use, but um, I've, I've tried all three now. I've tried hamstring, patella and quad across both knees. So there are, uh, that's sort of, that's the way, you know, it's, it's about not taking any other part of your body. And I sort of thought the hamstring was the most painful experienced the first time around you can't straighten your leg I, I just felt absolutely horrific with it so when the, the thought was to do Lars I was already three and a half months into my rehab I thought if I do Lars I can get back like Nick in 11 weeks then I will have beaten the traditional anyway you know traditional didn't work for me so let's try this yeah so that's what they did they just put a synthetic ligament in my knee alongside um what was left of that first ACL Oh, okay. So it had just deteriorated. There was no accident where I'd done it and it had just deteriorated. And then, you know, we sort of explored a little bit more when the Lars didn't take and, and things weren't working that I'd actually had an um, infection. I'd had a bug get in there, um, potentially with the first surgery. We're not, never been able to pinpoint exactly when it was, but um, it's fair to say I never went back to that first surgeon and um, I've never seen him since. And I don't <laughs> think he's going to see me. Um, but it's one of those things that, you know, you, it, it can happen with surgeries. I don't blame him, but um, you know, there's there's a certain way that people could handle things, and I don't think he handled it as well as he could. He's a reputable surgeon in Melbourne, and I don't think, um, yeah, I'm sort of I've, I've I've always been pretty disappointed in the way he actually handled it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, it's it's their own. Everyone handles things differently, and um, you For know, sure. surgery 
surgeons, you know, are usually top of their game and it's a big, big ego thing when people are at the top. So, um, yeah, I think his ego might have been a little bit bruised over the journey after, after that one. I've said, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's the biggest difference with the Lars and the traditional is just that, that synthetic ligament. But then there are complications with it too mm. in terms of um, the, the holes. They have to actually drill in your femur. And your tibia to do a normal reconstruction with the synthetic, the holes are bigger. So you there's a chance uh, that okay. yeah. you can deteriorate with those things. So um yeah, there's always there's always something else that goes with it. And then the more times you go in, obviously those holes get bigger and bigger. So now I've had five on my left and two on my right. The, the holes in my left would be massive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, definitely. What's the yeah. um, success rate in, do you know the success rate in the Lars um, surgeries or is it just sort of uh, a? I think it's, I think it's pretty low. Um, yeah. I think it's something that, yeah, I, I don't think it's really touched in Australia anymore. I think a few guys have done it. I mean, Nick Malcheski was one that was a success story with it, got back. Yeah, I was um, going to mention, yeah, did he, he hadn't any, yeah. had any troubles since, since that? No, he was, hasn't. I mean, he's, He's traditional because he did both as well. And he's mm. traditional that he had done, oh, he would have had that done 15 years ago, maybe 12 years ago now. Mm. You know, speaking to him now, he thinks he's the one that he had done that long ago, the traditional. He's a hell of a lot stronger than his Lars. And he had his Lars done in 2011. So that's only sort of 10 years ago. Um, that's sort of, you know, that's what brought his career to a stop. I mean, he went to the Gold Coast after Sydney and played a few years there. Would have liked to have played a little bit more, but his knee just was just too loose. And yeah, the issue with the Lars is that the day it goes in, it's, it's at its strongest. Mm. And then with anything synthetic stuff, the more you, you rip it and you jerk it and things like that, it just gets weaker and weaker. Whereas the traditional is the opposite. It's, it's at its weakest when it goes in and then it just gets stronger and stronger as more and more blood flow goes to it and it just continues to grow. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, the, the wear and tear sort of gets to it a bit, especially playing the rigors of, of AFL, especially, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Um, so as you sort of, as the numbers of uh, ACL sort of started creeping up, did how, how did you go mentally? I know that all the physical stuff was, you, you do in front of, you do on your own sometimes, but you do in front, people know that you're doing doing it. How do that, they're not never in your head. How do you sort of, how did you deal with it mentally? Yeah, it's one of those things that I probably, I probably didn't deal with that well, um, you know, initially, I suppose. I just sort of, I mean, one thing that, you know, frustrated me a lot and I probably, you know, just took it out on people around me with frustrations and things like that, which wasn't the right way to do it, but that was my way of dealing with it, whether I just, you know, like like any bloke, I probably let, let things bottle up a lot um, and yeah. just, and then you just sort of explode up, you know, I sort of, you know, I, I, when you're not playing footy and I'd just train Monday to Friday and then I'd just go out and live like a 22, 23-year-old and just have, you know, benders on the weekend and wasn't healthy. But at that point in time, I was like, well, I may as well, you know, you don't get this opportunity to do it any other time. Yeah. And, you know, I'd fly down to Melbourne and had mates at uni. So, you'd, you know, I'd work hard from Monday to Thursday, fly down and then go out Thursday, Friday, Saturday night and then, you know, alcohol is obviously a depressant, um, so mm. it just makes whatever you're feeling 10 times worse. And then you just sort of, you know, you, you're just in a hole after that. <clears throat> I never, um, I've never really dabbled in recreational drugs, which I, which I didn't throughout. Um, yeah. But alcohol was enough. I just, and I, but, but that was mm. something for yeah. me. I was like, oh, I'm not doing drugs, which is good. So I can have as much alcohol as I want. But mm. it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely just not the, not the way to deal with it. And then in terms of the stuff of the club, you 
you know, there are days that you'd wake up and just go, oh, I just, I don't want to go in here. I just, I, or I hope I, you know, I'd, I'd go in when no one else was there and I'd say to, you know, they, they always knew I was professional in the way I, I trained and I always trained hard. Of course, um, yeah. Regardless of, you know, if there were times there where I was sitting in, like there was 12 months there where I was sitting in limbo, just didn't have an ACL in my knee and just waiting for, for things to settle with, um, mm-hmm. with the infection and all that. So you're not progressing anywhere because you're not rehabbing a knee. You're just doing it to stay fit and stay sane, really. Um, but there are times I just sort of, you know, go in and just hope you don't see anyone. Cause if you see anyone, they go, how are you going? And you're like, yeah, great. And you just, you're not at all, but you don't want to put that burden on anyone else. Um, yeah. And that's probably something I've gotten better at, you know, probably since I've left the game really just to, just to be able to just accept some days that you just, you just feel shit house and you, and you can. And I think the way mental health's going with, with, um, you know, males particularly in the last few years is, is, is massive, I think. And I oh, think it's sure. great to be able to, mm. yeah, to be able to have those conversations. And the reality is you, you, things aren't going to be going well all the time and you're not going to be happy all the time. So you can sort of, you know, you can sit there and just, you can feel sorry for yourself every now and then. Um, it's just sort of how you bounce back and, and respond from that, I suppose. But, um, but yeah, there's, there's no doubt there were, there were times there. I think the, the lowest point was probably at the end of 2015. I think it was the fourth reconstruction I'd had, the third Lars I'd had. Yeah. It was in there for seven days, I reckon. And I was just sort of sitting, I lived on my own in Sydney as well, which oh, yeah. was good and bad because you could, because mm. you could escape it. Um, I think if I had lived with, with footy boys, it would have just done my head in the whole time, then preparing for games and you just missing out the whole time. Mm. Uh, I was never at the start I was never a good watcher of footy I'd sit there and just you'd just be like I can I could be out there helping them you know I wish I could play and actually do something but then as you more and more weeks went on you're like you just you just remove yourself from the game really um and you yeah it's it's that's sort of what I did I think for the first few years I just removed myself completely I'd train hard you know catch up with the boys when it was a setting away from footy and you know have a few beers with them or whatever it is and then Mm. um yeah, just not, just sort of not engage in that whole footy thing. And I think, um, you know, I mentioned Ray Shaw before. He he sort of got me back involved in it when he took over his, um, he took over oh, his development yeah. coach instead of the twos when, mm. once he retired and got me in as his assistant. And that sort of gave me that passion for footy back a little bit. Because um, definitely when you sit there on the sidelines and you don't see any of it, you you can um, you can lose it pretty quickly. Oh, no doubt about it. And as you said, the, the friends and family, it all comes back to the, the friends and family and stuff. And like, who knows what would happen if Reshaw didn't get that position and, and then he doesn't offer that, or doesn't offer that yeah. for you. And like, it can, it can all change in a matter of moments. So um, he's obviously, yeah. yeah, kept you close as well and, and really been a good mate and, um, and and helped you out there. And and I think it's obviously put put you in good stead at that point. So, which which is, which is what you wanted. So um yeah that, that would have been good for you to feel as well that you get a bit of support and, and showing that how much he cares about what you're going yeah. through yeah i think the, yeah, the big thing is when you you know you i was you're on an afl list to play afl and that's what you want to do and that's what i've done for a couple of years and then you just lose purpose when you're not playing you just sort of lose that purpose and it's like oh what's the point in you know what's the point in doing this or showing up or whatever there's there's no real value in it um but then i think the older i got and I realized that I had, you know, I had a fair experience. I sort of knew what these younger guys were going through. 
Mm. I think to be able to try and impart a little bit of that knowledge and wisdom on them was super beneficial for me and realised how important it could be. And just, you're not a coach, you're, you're their teammate and you're their friend. So mm. you can sort of tell them different things. They're not looking at you as a superior, so they might listen to you more. I mean, some of them listen to you less because you're not in that situation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you take the good with the bad in terms of that. And if you can have a, any small impact on any of them, like that that's, that becomes worthwhile. And that sort of became my purpose for a couple of years there. Yeah, no, that, that's that's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing, coaching. And obviously, as you said, they, they see you as equal. So, and, and that's what you want. Just some, an extra few mates, really. like, And then you're helping yeah. them out. That, that you're helping them out they're helping you to yeah and, and it's a, it's a great thing after yeah exactly yeah after the um after the three three lars and you went back to the you went back to the traditional was it yeah what is was there any sort of repercussions from having the lars to then doing the um back to the traditional or was it just sort of a, a fairly simple transition yeah, as I said, so yeah, that I mean, you speak about the um, the was that side sort of, of the holes and stuff, yeah, or yeah, to do with the holes, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, that so 2015, it was December. I'd had that, I'd had the third Lars, the fourth reconstruction on my left knee. Mm. As I said, it was in there for six or seven days. I was at home and just, you know, you sort of in and out of the club a little bit, just icing up for the first week. You can't do much. Still got wounds and stuff there that, that need to be cared for. Um, and then I was just sort of sitting on the couch and I went to get up and I, I could hardly walk. And I looked down and my knee was triple the size of what it should have been. It had just blown up. And mm. I, I was straight in the car, straight to the doctor's room. And it was probably like 5, 30, 6 o'clock um, at night. And he was like, we need to, you just need to get to hospital. And I was like, I was like, oh, it should be right. Like, we'll just go in the morning or whatever. And he's like, no, nah, I think it's, I think this is this is a little bit more serious than than what you think it is. I think the infection's sort of starting to take over, and then it sort of becomes a, an issue of, mm. you know, it never I, they never really told me the, the extent of it, but I think it becomes an issue of like, you know, if it takes over enough, eats your body, you can lose your limb or you could lose your knee or whatever it is. So yeah, it becomes pretty serious. You know, you straight on the phone to mum. She's like, no worries. She, you know, on the next flight out of Melbourne straight to Sydney, I got taken to hospital. I actually. Um, Funny enough, you know, when things happen, they always happen badly. I got back to my car and someone had reversed into my car and I was so oh, you're kidding. <laughs> I was just like, what else can go wrong here? Like, Jesus Christ. Um, oh, and I didn't even leave a number or anything. I was like, you absolute bastards. Anyway, I'd sort of I got in my car, drove home, and the welfare guy picked me up and just took me straight to hospital. They put me on a yeah. IV antibiotic drip. Um, and it was, yeah, the thought was that the infection was was starting to take over. Um, anyway, then, then it sort of becomes the conversation changes a lot from footy. Um, and it's like, you know, about life and things like that. Um, so another surgeon took over and a really good surgeon in Sydney, um, mm. Tim Musgrove, he took over and he was the one that said, you can't stuff around with this, just get into hospital straight away. I'll operate on him tomorrow. So he operated on me the next day and he, he said to me, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I'll look at it, I'll go in and, you know, we'll, we'll make a decision. He said, oh, I'll either make a decision in there or mm. we'll make a decision after when you wake up. So I woke up not really knowing what he'd done. Um, yeah. And he said to me, he said, look, I've cleaned it out as best I can. I've left a bit of – there's a bit of an ACL in there. I've left it in there. And he sort of said, I, I could have taken the whole thing out, but, you know, you sort of need to make a decision now on, on what you want to do here. And 
I was like, what do you mean make a decision? And he's like, well, you know, you, you we can leave it like this, but you'll never play footy again. Um, we think we can save it and you can walk and live a normal life and stuff like that. And I was like, no, nah. I said, I haven't come this far to, to give up. You know, you're going back in and, and remove it and complete, like completely clean it. Um, and then we'll sort of start again. So the next day he went in. So two operations in three days to, um, yeah. to get it out. Um, and he sort of, he was like, you know, the funny thing was he was sort of like, do you want to make, do you want to think about that? And then, and then everyone else gets involved, you know, horse, horse was great support throughout the whole thing. But he sort of said, do you want to seriously think about this? And I was like, no, I, I, I have like, you know, if the reality mm. is what's another surgery, I've already had probably seven of them. <laughs> yeah. seven or eight of that, I think I've already had enough, just, just do another couple and we'll, we'll get it back to where we need to. Um, and then it becomes, you know, and then I, Got that all cleaned out. That was December 2015. And then um, mm. the process started to, to start again, effectively. You're back, back where I was in 2013, um, uh, you know, having sort of wasted two years, almost three years. And then I yeah, had a two-stage <clears throat> reconstruction with Julian Feller in Melbourne. Um, two-stage being the fact that the holes were massive now because mm. I'd, I'd already had one bone graft to, to fill in those holes. Yeah. I needed a second one because I was going down the traditional route because Lars obviously hadn't worked for me. Mm. So yeah, did a had a two-stage reconstruction with Julian. He did the first stage in um in February and then the second stage in at the end of May. Um so okay. then that sort of rehab, rehab stage starts again from the 30th of May 2016 was the start of it all again. Mm. Yeah, wow. Uh, yeah, but in terms of yeah, the mental stuff at, at the end of 2015, that was that was probably when you, when those conversations turned to, you know, what, you know, we need to make a decision here. It's not really about footy anymore. It's about your livelihood and your life and things like that. Um, that makes you think a little bit, but, you know, mm. I was just super determined to just, I just wanted to get back and that's all I wanted to do. And I wasn't going to stop at anything. And um, rightly or wrongly, I, I did not keep going. And, you know, I, I ended up getting to where I wanted to. Um, it just, only lasted a game in a quarter, which I sort of would have hoped it would have lasted a little bit longer, but that's sort of life and that's that's what happens. That, I mean that that's it, mate. You, you say it, yeah, and you say it so like it's it's gonna happen again and and whatnot. But yeah, you, you got to that point, you played the game, played another quarter, and then what's your thought then? Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, up, it's just yeah. Um my thought then, I mean it was my good name. <laughs> Which actually drove by, which, which is, yeah, sort of the most frustrating thing I think. If it was the left, you're like, right, oh, this is, this is what's caused so much grief. Um, the fact that it was my right knee that, that gave me, and the left was actually holding up okay, is yeah, it, it's, it's. I'd never had an issue with my right, mm. you know, no, nothing untoward had ever happened with it, and then for that to happen, it's like, why didn't this happen three years ago when the other one was, you know, playing up or whatever? I, I'd done enough. You know, done enough agility and training, and you know, match sim and all that for the opportunity for it to go, and then it, it waits. You know, for for a big stage on the MCG to actually give way. It's uh, yeah, it's bloody cruel. Um, yeah, you sort of then it just I don't know. Then you just become again that sort of that whirlwind. That's what that week was. Um, mm. The highs of sort of playing that game against Collingwood and actually making it back onto an AFL field was. You know, the highest of anything, I'll, I'll put it right up there with the elation of, of the grand final. 
I was going to yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was going to mention more significant that, yeah. for me just because of the amount of work that went into it. I mean, the grand final was unbelievable. Don't get me wrong, and it's a childhood dream of mine. But at twenty, you sort of don't, you probably don't understand the significance or the magnitude of it. Mm. Whereas, you know, at twenty, what was I? You know, twenty six. Um, you know, having five years on the sideline, you really do realize how you know precious something like that is. And um, you know, being delisted twice from the club and you know, having them say that you, you, you'll probably never play AFL again, you're the last player on our list, all those different conversations which happened throughout 2017 and even before 2018 season. And then to get back and just prove everyone, prove yourself right and prove everyone wrong that it, that it doubted you. Um, I think that was, you know, hugely significant. And then, you know, that high only lasted a matter of, I found out on the Wednesday I was playing against Collingwood and then, you know, 10 days later, 11 days later, I did one day on it on the Sunday against Melbourne at the MCG. So yeah, it is, um, you know, it's an extremely difficult thing to, to go through. And, um, you know, again, I, I probably didn't handle it as, as well as I, I could have at the time, you know, you mm. sort of, you just turn to that, you know, partying again, drinking too much, just, just to sort of try and chase that numb feeling, I suppose. Um, mm. You know, if you, every time you're in sound mind, you, you think about it and you sort of, think about poor me and you feel sorry for yourself whereas you know when you go out and just doing what any other 26 year old would do you just you sort of take away those feelings and um just just switch off a, a bit and just silence all those voices in your head a little bit moving to a lighter side between between the 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 last game that you played to the the um, game against Collingwood, did you say? Um, yeah, Collingwood. How many days was it? And do you remember how you felt running out that for like yeah. to get back? Like, what was that? What was that like? Because that must have been yeah. a, an amazing feeling. Yeah, it was. Um, it was two thousand one hundred and thirty-six days between the two thousand twelve grand final and then that game. I sort of. The preseason games don't, you know, they sort of don't yeah. count that much. It's just part of the preseason. <laughs> I played a little bit of reserves footy, but yeah, the main milestones were playing a genuine AFL game that actually mattered. And um, for sure, yeah, it's a significant number. I've got that tattooed on my foot now. Actually, I've got a premiership tattoo on one foot, and then that that That's number awesome. on the other. Um, yeah. So my mother still absolutely hates the fact that I've got two tattoos, but they're on my feet. <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm sure um, she has. I'm sure. I'll never forget the moment of FaceTiming her with a few of the boys after the flag and <laughs> had that on my foot. She was like, "You idiot!" <laughs> anyway, it was. Uh, I always said, I think I was a ten-year-old kid, and I said to mum and dad, "They're like, oh, you know, what do you think of tattoos and stuff?" I said, "I'll get a tattoo if I win an AFL premiership or run at the Olympics." And they were like, "Well, neither of those things are ever going to happen, so we won't have to worry about it." <laughs> Anyway, you gotta love time. that. <laughs> so that gave oh, me extra sorry. drive to want to do it. Absolutely. Oh, um, so the next thing is the Olympics. I've just got to run to the Olympics, and then I can get some rings <laughs> sorted. Yeah. yeah I mean, you see that fun. so much. Yeah. Um, the yeah, it was it was unbelievable. I think the the I started playing reasonable um, footy in the in the reserves, and um, yeah, just just started feeling feeling good, feeling confident again, actually getting through games. At the end of 2017, I couldn't even run out games in the twos. My groins were so bad just because mm. deloading and reloading those 
over, you know, five knee reconstructions takes a massive toll on the rest of your body. Um, sort of that losing the muscles and then trying to get them back and all that. Um, so I had an operation on my groin at the start of 2018. Um, mm. I got delisted at the end of 2017 and um, sat down with John Longmire and Tom Harley, who was the football manager at the time at Sydney. And they said, look, you, you know, you, you can't run out games. Like you just, your body's cooked. We think you should give it away. You can have a coaching job here. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going away. Like I, I want to play again. I, I want to get back. I've come this far. Anyway, they've sort of gave me, I think the club gave me about three months off and said, just take, in terms of um, conditioning, don't run, just take the time off. So I did. Anyway, groins were okay. Um, they were never great, but I um, made up that they were a lot better than what they were. Anyway, got back to pre-season. <laughs> yeah. Um, and was in good condition, had looked after myself, um, you know, taken that sort of two month, two and a half month block off of doing nothing and then got back into it and came back and was beating all the younger boys in the running and running really well and you know horses wrapped he's like brilliant looks like you've come back in good nick we'll give you a rookie deal and i was like brilliant so they gave me a rookie deal and then about two weeks later i said my grinds are fucked here <laughs> um, so I, uh, I, that wasn't a great conversation like how long have they been like this anyway ended up going in for an adductor release um in january 2000 or start of feb in 2018 so that pulled me back and put me out for about eight weeks. Um, so then again, like, you know, rehabbing again, concentrating on the knee, concentrating on the groin, getting everything right. Mm. And then, yeah, played about, I think I played about seven or eight games in the twos. And as I said, started to get, started to feel good, you know, find the footy a little bit, find my feet. Um, and then, yeah, it was a, I was close to play against Essendon on a, I think it was round 19 and um, was filthy. I didn't get picked. But then also sort of happy that it was back to those feelings of, you know, I, I could, I should be playing here. You know, I'm good enough to play. I really, you know, and I, I should be picked and all that. So just, just genuine normal footy feelings, which is, which is what you want is, you know, being upset about selection, things like that, not worrying about, you know, rehab or when your next surgery is or anything. And then, yeah, finally horse, horse told me on the, the Wednesday before the Saturday night game against Collingwood that, you know, I was going to play, just revealed the, the board and um, there my name was full back against Mason Cox, um, which, yeah, you sort of just haven't, you know, I, I, it's, it's something that I'd thought about, you know, since that 2013 first injury, you, you think about playing again, you think about getting back there, but you, you never think it's going to happen, especially when the years roll on. Um, mm, yeah. You know, you convince, you convince people all along, becomes bloody hard to convince people after four and a half years that you will play AFL again. Yeah. Um, it's the longest, well, it's, it's, it's got to be the longest time between games, between senior games for anyone. Um, so the fact that it's never been done before, it's, you know, completely uncharted territory, but, you know, I was just so determined and so committed to doing it. Um, and then, yeah, just to, just to get the reward for effort was, was unbelievable. And then, you know, that, those three days were just, Mayhem. Um, Sydney's obviously not a very big AFL town. I mm. walked, I've lived there since 2010 and never once got recognised in the street. And, you know, that Wednesday afternoon, I went to the supermarket, you know, which I went to every day around the corner from my house. <laughs> and people were like, yeah, congratulations. Good luck this weekend. And I was like, what are you, this is, this is for And then you start to realise the significance of what you've actually been able to do. Um, mm. But yeah, running out was just, you know, I nearly, like it was, it was just ridiculous. I, the whole family flew up, mates flew up. Um, 
it was a yeah, you know, massive build up. Um, and it was also, you know, hugely important game for the club. So it was one of those things where you I got selected on merit. It wasn't just, oh, let's just, you know, give him a game because it was like, well, yeah, exactly. Come in yeah. and do a job for us. And it's a game that was must win. I think we'd lost three out of the last four or something. So momentum was against us a little bit. Um mm-hmm. running out of, you know, I've never been so nervous in my life. You I've, I've nearly tripped over coming up the stairs out of that race <laughs> at the SKJ. Mates were at the fence and they're like, oh, do you remember? And I was like, no, nah. it was just a complete utter blur. Mm. Um, you know, you just, yeah, and you're just thinking, not, not like, oh, I hope my knee holds up. It's just like, you know, can I still play at this level? Um, mm. You know, naturally your mind sort of goes to that negative way of, you know, you might not be able to do it anymore. It might not work. Um, but, yeah, the way it panned out, you know, it couldn't have been better. We won by two points in the end, and it was just – it was unbelievable, really. Mm. Um, so, wonderful yeah. moment, yeah. yeah. Wonderful moment, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was amazing. Um, and to share that with family and friends and, you know, be able to go out and celebrate after just as a, as a player again was just, you know, unbelievable, really. Mm. Um, yeah, it was pretty pretty special, pretty – yeah, pretty special moment. And as I said, it's, it's up there right alongside, if not – above um you know the, the feelings i've got attached to that premiership yeah no and i mean that would be that would be a huge a huge call to for, for some people but uh i think yeah i think i think you're right like that's just as good as feeling as you can get because obviously premierships are the pinnacle but what what you've gone through and and the that years of hard work and and stress and and everything everything that you would had to deal with and everything even some things you put yourself through and all like different things like that it's all it was all worth it because you got got back for that for that particular game and, yeah. and it'll be a game that you remember forever and it'll be the it'll be the game that broke the the number of days and the, the tattoo that you have on on your foot so yeah. um that'll be the last day so it's yeah it, it's a wonderful thing that, you, that you're able to do for sure um no doubt about that um Going to um, the sort of the younger the younger levels of, of footy and what 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 will you tell someone who's who's up and coming and um, may sustain injuries early on in their career maybe before they get drafted or even a couple of years after like like yourself what what's what's one piece of advice you you would give someone going through as much or even something little as well Yeah, I think the I think the, the funny thing is you. You know, when I was sitting in the my first preseason at, at Sydney, Craig Bolton um, had had a few Achilles injuries. Anyway, ended up rupturing his Achilles again and um, retired in my first preseason. And he sort of um, stood it up there. He'd been in the game, he played close to 200 games for Brisbane and Sydney, and been in the game for 10, 12 years. And he he said, um, you know, it goes in a flash, and you sort of. You sit there as an eight-year-old kid, and I thought, nah, you know, I'm going to be here for the next ten years, and it'll seem like a lifetime. But mm. I think that's the thing you sort of, um, you know, don't take things for granted. But in terms of setbacks and all that, um, I think it's it's really important to figure out early on if it's a setback, an injury, or whatever it is, you need to figure out what you want and what that goal is, yeah. and just don't waver from that goal. Um, don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Use as much, use whatever you need around you resource-wise or advice from different people and try and get a lot of opinions and 
speak to a lot of different people about whatever it is, whether it's surgeons or medical advice or just personal advice. I think that's huge is using people as a sounding board, but never let anyone sway whatever you want, what you want to achieve. Um, never let anyone sort of tell you otherwise. Cause I think that's the, that's the biggest thing is, you know, a lot of people have said to me that are like, oh, I would have given up after three and it's, it's like, well, that's, you know, that's fine. And I might be in a different position in my life if I did, if I, if I walked away at 25 and went and started another career or whatever, but um, you know, I was, I would have never felt, um, you know, there's, there's still a part of me that feels as though my career is unfinished. Mm. Um, but yeah. If I never got back, if I gave up after three and said, no, this is too hard, I definitely would have felt it was unfinished and, you sort of can't, you can't live like that. You'd never, you'd, I'd never forgive myself really if I didn't, if I didn't, you know, continue on that journey and um, get back to playing. So I think that's the biggest thing is be really clear with what the goals are, set little goals along the way and, and don't waver from them. Um, things can, things can change. There are more setbacks, you know, one big setback, there'll be a hundred little setbacks along the way to achieving <laughs> that goal. If it's a time thing and it gets blown out, um, that's okay. But, just yeah, just be really clear on what you want to achieve, and um, make sure you do everything in your power to get there. No, for sure, mate. That, that, that's wonderful. It's something something I'll probably take as well <laughs> going through the last little bit. But yeah, no, yeah. for sure. Um, that, no, that's awesome. Uh, that's great to hear. Um, I did have I had one one little question um, to sort of finish with. Um, yep. When when coaching, have you ever seen someone? go down with a, a, an injury and were you there to um, sort of help them along through it? Like, I know you said you did some stuff with um, Reece Shaw and obviously this doesn't have to um, resonate to ACLs or anything like that, but did you ever sneak in a word to someone about maybe um, see how they're going or see how they're feeling and, and whatnot? Obviously it can be distressing first up um, getting yeah. an injury. Um, did you ever find yourself having to, to be the motivator instead of, um, doing the motivating for yourself to then help yourself? Do you find yourself motivating yeah. a lot of other young people? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think that's one of the beauty, beauties of, of social media and those types of things. Mm. Uh, the amount of messages I've got gotten over the, over the journey just from whether it's young guys or people that play at semi-professional level or even AFL level, um, I, if I know, you know, in terms of the AFL guys that, that do it, if if I know someone or mutual friends with them or know them through people or whatever it is, I'll try and reach out to them, specifically ACL, because it's something that, you know, I, I know what it's like going through. And, I mean, mm. someone that I used throughout my journey was um, Dan Menzel. He did his first one in 2011 and mm. sat down with him. And, um, you know, it's one of the greatest things I ever did was just sit down with him. And, I mean, you feel like, you feel like you're completely on your own, but then I sort of, you know, said a few things like, oh, this is what I faced. He's like, oh, yeah, mate, you know, I went through that as well. And then you're like, right, oh, you're not on your own. And that's that's the biggest thing. An injury of any kind when you are in a team sport can be super isolating. Mm. So if you can speak to someone about it, it makes a massive difference. So definitely a lot of that on on social media. Um, and then, yeah, I'll, I'll do some coaching with um, the first 18 at, at Xavier. Um, I've been doing that for the last few years, which I, I love. I love working with young kids. Um, you know, just it, it brings footy back to its rawest form. Um, and it, it's just outstanding working with kids that are driven, whether they're driven to get to AFL level or just driven to be the best they can be. It's so satisfying to try and help them in, them in any little way you can. Um, 
so yeah if you see someone go down with whatever it is just trying to trying to help them along and if you can yeah. do stuff with them to make them feel included that's that's big too um just to you know whatever it is if you can do anything because everyone else is running around training and playing if you can make them feel special in any little way it makes a massive difference um so yeah i mean i by no means any medical expert on anything but <laughs> i uh you know i've been through the mental side of things a lot um so yeah if i can if i can try and help people with that i think it's a i think it's a big thing there's a there's a part of me that um wants because not everyone feels comfortable reaching out um which yeah. is fine um mm. so there's a part of me that you know I've, i have thought whether i do you know potentially write a book or something like that just about yeah. about things i um you know one of my good mates brandon jack released a book not long ago um, mm. yeah yeah and, the amount of people that, you know, my age, older or younger have read it and they're like, oh, it's just brilliant hearing, you know, the amount of books that are about 250-game, 300-game legends, Brownlow medalists, triple premiership players are out there and everyone's like, oh, it's such a great career. And then mm. Brandon's written something that is just completely opposite about his journey. And, um, you know, I think it's resonated with a lot of people that, you know, obviously everyone sort of looks at the AFL and, you know, it is an unbelievable career and it's, it's amazing, but for everyone that has a successful career and goes out on their own terms, there's hundreds of players that don't. Um, Correct. Generally speaking, you know, I'd say that the the guys that retire each year, you know, you'd say one to two make that decision on their own. The rest are forced out. I mean, everyone would try and play forever if they could, because it is great um, <laughs> and it's a you know, great lifestyle and it's it's unbelievable being able to do it, but. Um, yeah, there's there's a part of me that, that thinks about that. Just if you can sort of impart anything on on young kids or adults or whatever it is. Um, yeah, I, as I said, I, I don't I don't think I dealt with with a lot of it as as best I could. I think I'm learning more and more as as the uh, as the years go on and as I continue to mature. But you know, when I when I was going through it, I got I got all sorts of random people reaching out. You know, people saying, "Oh, I lost my." You know, husband from cancer or lost my mum or whatever, and I was like, oh, I've just had a knee injury. Like it's nowhere near <laughs> significant as loss of life, but yeah, just the just the resilience piece is um mm. is yeah is something that you know I was able to do. Obviously, I would have overcome different obstacles, and um, it's all about you know putting those things in place to try and overcome whatever obstacles they are, physical and mental. Yeah, no, and it's amazing. Like amazing how how many people like how many. I mean, I can probably not a number for it, but there's, I imagine there's thousands, like thousands of DMs and, and whatnot. Do, yeah. do, do you get time to, to get to everyone or you, or is it hard yeah. to get to everyone sometimes? Or are you just that type of guy that you just need to, you want to get a response to, to everyone you can and, and help them out? Yeah, well, I remember I was a kid, kid <laughs> back in from Melbourne. Um, yeah. Stephen Armstrong was my favourite player for some reason. A, a, <laughs> Love it. Retro. He was like number it. two and I yeah. wore number two. And um, yeah. he was involved in the Bali bombings, actually. So yeah. um, I said to dad, I said, oh, I want to write him a letter. Anyway, I wrote him a letter and he never responded. And I never forgot that. Um, so I thought everyone that got in contact with me, I, I tried to respond. I mean, there, there would have been some that I didn't respond to. Um yeah. But ninety nine percent of them, I responded to and, and tried to tried to give it back because you know I remember being that disappointed kid that never got a response. Um, 
And, you know, if Stephen ever hears that, he should write to me now. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah, it was just it's one of those things that, you know, yeah. they've taken the time to do it. There is one, there's one kid I didn't respond to and he, because he'd cut out the photo of me lying on the ground after I'd done my ACL and said, oh. hey, mate, can you sign this? And I was like, no way, no. <laughs> Oh, he stuck. has got no chill. That kid has oh, got no chill. The worst, like, he didn't send it on his own. Surely his parents were like, oh, we'll find another photo. Like, print a photo out from Google or something. Like, <laughs> at least get something that is a bit more joyous than that. I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, that, was, sure that, that was one I, you know, definitely chose not to respond to it. I thought that was warranted. But oh, no, no I always, I've always tried. Um, yeah, I always tried to respond as, as best I can. And, you know, I've had phone conversations with people that I don't even know just you know whether it's a 20 minute conversation for them to ask questions or whatever it is it's it's yeah it's no it's it's time it's 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 fine you know everyone's got sort of plenty of it it's just if you can help someone out then then that's the best thing you can do mm, no definitely and I was going to stop there but I, I just heard you say something then um people play AFL players most recently um, who have done their ACL? Well, who's the last person to to reach out to you uh, in the AFL? Um, sort of um, I think the last well, I reached out. The last person I reached out to was um, Josh Bruce last year. Yeah. Um, just yeah, sort of. Oh, late the year. Yeah. I suppose. Um, and then mm. yeah, just saw that and yeah, especially it's extremely difficult. Um, the other one, you know, is the other significant one from last year is Adam Tomlinson. He's a great mate of mine. Um, we mm. grew, up, grew up playing footy together. He used my fake ID when he was 16. Um, we used to go out <laughs> together and hand ID. That's great. And walk in right behind. So technology <laughs> wasn't up to it those days. But, um, yeah, I, yeah, sort of tried to help him as much as I could. He's, he's handled it, you know, unbelievably well to miss out on a, on a premiership with Melbourne last year is, you know, mm. a hugely, you know, difficult thing to do. I can imagine, I can only imagine. Um, but, you know, he seems to be going pretty well now and he'll get back in and, you know, hopefully they can, they can have a repeat of, of last year and he can be actually, he can be a part of it this year. Um, For sure. But, yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, you're just trying. I mean, I saw, saw Ben King go down with it yesterday, which is, which is oh. shocking. Um, yeah that's a tragic one yeah that's yeah um and a young guy as well yeah exactly young guy as well he's i mean his brother's been through one um mm. the fact that he's gone through one now is just yeah just terrific but yeah it's one of those things that you 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 reach out if and if they respond they respond if they don't they don't i, I don't i'm not i'm not going to sit here and tell them what they should do or how they should go about it it's just more to to be able to speak to someone and be able to speak to someone that um is completely impartial on the situation Mm. You know, not affiliated with any club, but know exactly what they're going through. And I think just just having those, you know, getting back to those conversations that you have, you know, they can only be beneficial. Um, and if someone's got experience, shared experience, then it then it makes a makes a big difference. I think. Yeah, no, no doubt. And it's always just nice to have someone to to, to lean on if, if if need be. And if, as you said, if they don't use it, they don't use it. But you're there if if they do ever need to shoot a message or, or whatever, which is, which is awesome. So, uh, and that's, yeah. that's good to hear. Now, yeah. we, we will we'll finish with a, a bit of a, what I like to call the draft, the under pressure draft. And what I thought we'd do today is 
draft um, people who you'd like to listen to a podcast of. So they may they may not have one at the moment, but if they did have one, that you would go. I don't know if you're much of a podcast listener or, no, or anything no, like that. Um, yeah, so if they had one um, that you'd, you'd flick on straight away, all right, and we'll sort of go, we'll go back and forth. We'll do, uh, we'll do five picks each, and uh, yeah, we'll go go from there. Um, yeah, right. Well, yeah, right off the bat, I suppose he's already got one. He's doing extremely well with it. But a mate of mine, Dill Buckley, obviously does Dylan friends. Um, yeah, we, we we grew up playing footy together. And- <laughs> He was year below me, so um, we played Vic Mertra together as him as a seventeen-year-old, as old But yeah, he's done extremely well to uh, to yeah to to get Dylan friends going, and um, yeah, he's he's kicking serious goals in it. So yeah, I do I listen to I'm an avid listener of um, Dylan friends. So yeah, that <laughs> has to be number one. I think. Have you have you I don't know have you featured on uh, Dylan friends? I have. You should do your research better. Oh, I, that was pretty bad of me. I, I tried no, looking, no, no. I couldn't find anything. I couldn't I find was, anything. Uh, I was. I was one of the first episodes. Actually, I was. Uh, um, okay, that, I was more looking later I, years. <laughs> it was when he's, yeah, he's definitely gotten better. That's for sure. It was, oh, hundred percent. Hundred percent. We did it from his place in uh, in Paddington just after I'd done my knee against Melbourne. Actually, he sort of said he's like, oh, I reckon you'd come on and. Anyway, I hobbled around there because um, I'd done a little bit more damage than just the ACL that time. So, yeah. hardly walked for a couple of weeks. But, um, yeah, went around there. And I think I was episode four or five with him. But, um, yeah, so one of the originals before, you know, how people say before they got cool, I was, I was a supporter of his first. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. I'll have to go back and uh, listen to that episode. Apologies, I missed yeah. it. Um, <laughs> my number one, uh, you mentioned him before and someone I've also looked uh, looked up to yeah, as well during some of my rehab is is I'd love to hear the words of Dan Dan Menzel about all his oh, yeah. all, about all his rehab and and all the knees that he went through as well and and probably you know what you probably um, sort of lump yourself in there as well I think having you two on a podcast listening and talking about that sort of stuff I, I would certainly get my uh, uh, get my headphones and, and start listening straight away I think I think it's a it's a great learning opportunity and I think. <laughs> Uh, that's sort of why I'm doing this one too. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll put you both in there together. Yourself and uh, Dan Menzel for that, uh, the injury yeah, type right. sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And just call it the ACL podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Nice and simple there. Nice and simple, Absolutely. mate. Absolutely. Straight to the point. It's not confusing what it's about. Oh, no, definitely not. But, yeah, um, over to you. What, what do you got for your, for another one? Could just be people that doesn't have to be anything specific or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned him before the fact that um, you know Brandon Jack, a, a mate of mine, who's, who's written a book. I think, yeah, I think he's. Um, I think I, I really, I thoroughly enjoyed reading the book. Um, mm. it was, it's 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 a really insight, a really interesting insight into into the, sort of the other side of AFL, I suppose. And I think he's he's a very well read and um, educated bloke and a really deep thinker, which is mm. probably not not run-of-the-mill AFL players. Um, <laughs> but he, he, was, he, always, I mean, he, he says that openly. He's like, I, I was always a bit different. I didn't fit the mould and things like that. Um, but, yeah, I think he'd have some some really interesting insights into, into you know, what he what he thinks about different things. And, um, you know, it, it wouldn't have to be sport-orientated. I think it could be a, um, a wide-ranging podcast. I think it'd be, I think it'd be really interesting to, to listen to that. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Uh, uh, sort of keeping the the train of the uh, the Sydney players going here. 
I was thinking about this the other day um, and not necessarily for uh, like him talking about his AFL career, but everything else that's happened um, throughout his life is Adam Goods and listening yeah. to, to everything, I mean, behind the scenes and, and his book and, he, and just everything that he's had to um, pretty much endure for his, yeah. for his whole life. And, and look, you get some footy in there as well, but it's an amazing story his, and I think, he'd be able to produce some um, fantastic content and a lot of, for a lot of people to, to listen to and um, would certainly get a lot of knowledge out there in, in every yeah. realm or in every aspect. Yeah, I think, yeah, he's, he's an amazing, amazing bloke. Good I think just a, a quick story that sort of sums him up is yeah. when I first walked into, into the Sydney rooms as, a, as the 18-year-old kid drafted, you know, walked in on the, the Tuesday or whatever, you, you, I didn't, you know, you don't know. I didn't know many of the players. I'd sort of followed them a little bit. You, but you obviously know the big ones. You know, your Goodsey, McVeigh, Jude Bolton, Ryan O'Keefe. These sort of bigger name players. But he came out to me and um, he said, "Oh, you're you're Alex Ayan." I said, "Yeah." And he said he introduced himself with his full name. He just said, "Oh, I'm Adam Goods." And I sort of <laughs> I thought, um, it's like no shit. I know who you are. But um, I mean, coming, my old man was was massive on always making sure you introduce yourself with your full name just just because it's a polite thing to do. And wow, yeah. the fact that did that, um, you know, a lot of the other boys, which is nothing on them, but just would introduce them with their nickname or whatever. But he was just, you know, I mean, it's, it just says a lot about someone's first impression. I was like, yeah, right. He's just commands respect straight away and um, and just, yeah, just just sort of an amazing thing to happen. As an 18-year-old kid, you're like, right. You know, this is you sort of here now, and this is a part of it. But um, no, he's, a, he's an absolute legend. We've we've, we've had some yeah. great times over the journey. Um, man, Goodsy, and yeah, he's a yeah, he's a he's such a great guy. But yeah, that was just something first straight off the bat. First impression, really, really interesting. That's amazing how it sort of resonated with your own family, sort of thing. And then and then he did it off off the cuff when you first met him and and whatnot. It's yeah, synced up nicely there. So that, at least that's yeah. a nice story. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, then another one. This guy's got a podcast too. Actually, he's off sport, but um, his name's Hugo Tuvi. He's got a podcast called Twenty Five Stay Alive. Yeah, um, and he's got a yeah unbelievable story. Diagnosed with testicular cancer at the age of twenty one when he was coming through the army. Um, yeah, so finished his training there. Diagnosed with that, then you know beat that in the clear for a while, and then. Five years later, got diagnosed with uh, bowel cancer. Um, so, twenty-five-year-old, two types of cancer. Um, now he's he's doing some great things in that space, mental health, and um, you know, sort of raising awareness for men's health and things like that. Um, but yeah, he's a yeah unbelievable guy. Um, and yeah, I think his podcast is is outstanding. It just touches on all things combine sport with life and all different different journeys and things like that and um yeah he's he's one that's brilliant and, and well worth listening to that's wonderful I, well, i'll definitely get definitely get on that one i'm yeah, plenty plenty do plenty of driving so definitely i'll, I'll no, might jump on that one as well for sure yeah that sounds no, there's nice. nothing better long drive and put a podcast on most <laughs> of the time very quickly oh 100 100 yeah. um now i'm gonna go to i'm gonna do a bit of a sporting one um i'm Recently, been a big fan of the uh, the NFL, um, and last probably five, six, seven years, and it seems I'm probably going to go with Tom Brady. He's, uh, um, I think, if he if he created a podcast, I think he would have 
so much to tell, even from not on, not even on field. I mean, there's there's plenty of content that I'm sure it can provide from from on field stuff after I don't know what it was 22, 23, 24 years or however many years. Yeah, it's you, you, six or seven championships, <laughs> or whatever it is. Yeah, like talking about talking about the championships, talking about particular games, talking about injuries that he's had. And then even even other stuff, all his off field businesses and and everything. He's a well he's a really well rounded man, and I think he would provide uh, a pretty pretty knowledgeable podcast as well. So and I think he might have some time on his hands to do that now that he's uh, now that he's retired. So fingers yeah. crossed. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's an unbelievable athlete. I mean that I'm sure you've seen the documentary series on on him. It's just it's amazing, really, and what he yeah. was able to do. Stay at that level for such a long time. He's it's ridiculous. <laughs> Absolutely um, ridiculous. Yeah, and the success, you know, to to move from the Patriots, obviously, and go and win a championship is it's just it's outrageous the, the impact he was able to have. Um yeah, yeah. it's it's pretty impressive. I don't know how he was able to do it, just to keep the body fresh and the mind fresh to, to stay at that level for such a long time. But yeah, mm. I agree. His, his podcast would be incredible, I reckon. <laughs> no doubt about it. No doubt about it. What do yeah. you got? We got um, I mean, two more each, two more. Yeah. Um, yeah, sporting one would be interesting, I think, for you know, sporting prowess, but controversy as well would probably be Tiger Woods, I think. Um, oh, that's a good one. Be, yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, it'd be, it'd be extremely interesting to to hear that. And, um, yeah, I mean, not not obviously focused on the the downfall and things like that, but more, you know, just about, I mean, he was an absolute freak and at the top of that game for such a long time. Mm. Um, and then obviously to what he's dealt with as well would be, you know, extremely interesting. Um, the guy, I went over, went over to the States at the end of 2016 to do a training camp with a bloke by the name of Bill Knowles. So it's sort of just touching back on that rehab again, we, we changed it mm. up just to try something a bit different and mm. a few of the AFL guys have been over to see him, but, but he got um, Tiger Woods, uh, he got his back right when he had those back issues and back surgery and things like that. And yeah, a few of the he just said the way he operates is just you know, he's just it's like he's not human, really, just in terms of the way he trains and stuff like that. And then, um, everything that goes with that, it, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. Um, and there's, there's sort of no wonder when you hear those little things why he was <clears throat> able to be at the top of that golf game for such a long time. Yeah, it's, it's almost the same sort of longevity as. Uh, what Brady was able to do as well. They're still, like it's amazing how long they're able to keep their bodies going. I know golf's not probably not as strenuous as as some other sports, but it, it does put a, a bit of bit of strenuous on on your on your body and your, and your limbs and specific, yeah. specific things like that. So, um, yeah, it's still uh, and he and he still had a wonderful career, even though with that little bit of a <laughs> controversy in the middle, which might provide yeah. some good good content as well. I'm sure. <laughs> There'd be a few episodes there, and that would be great content. <laughs> <laughs> no, doubt, no doubt about that. Um, I'm going to go a bit left field. Right? From the only reason it's sort of resonating with me at the moment, I watched watched the movie a couple of weeks ago. Um, do you remember the movie 127 Hours? Have you watched yeah, that before? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the the guy um, Aaron Ralston who who got stuck in the yeah, who got, it was his arm or his leg? His arm. It was his arm. Yeah. So he got stuck yeah, between. Yeah, he right. fell down a fell down a hole or a ditch and couldn't be seen and yeah the arm was wedged could not move it it's gone pretty much and um (laughs) i reckon you could get it you could get a podcast out of each hour i reckon from from that time and 
gee, that would be some that would be some great listening. I think that yeah, what he had to go through and then to come to the conclusion at the very end, you're like, all right, I'm either gonna unfortunately pass away right here right now, or I, I need to cut my arm off and 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 make my way up and try and yeah. find some sort of help. Otherwise, it was it was all over. And um, yeah, that's I think it's a movie that's that I do like to watch every now and then. And it really, it shows you a lot. So, and I think that that would come out in a podcast too. So that'd be quite yeah. amazing to listen to. So a bit of a, bit of a left field one, but you know. Absolutely. But yeah, it's, um, it's got a to, serious story to tell. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I haven't seen that for a while. So I might, I might watch that this weekend. It's a, it is a great movie. Yeah, it, um, it really is. Yeah. Resilience yeah, and nice. resilience and all that. It's yeah. It'd be awesome. Yeah. I'm just being able to fight off those mental demons when you're on your own. Mm. death in the face effectively it's it's incredible yeah that's it that's it crazy yeah um last one would probably she's featured on um she's pretty well known in the afl circles emma murray yeah um you know done a lot of work with richmond she's a mindfulness coach and things like that and she's she's been on dill's podcast a couple of times um but yeah i think she i think her story is pretty incredible with her son and things like that and then um, you know, her own sort of netball career got cut short with injuries and all that and the way she's been able to transform that into into that mindfulness, you know, I think she's sort of, her, her title is a high-performance mindfulness coach. Um, yeah. Sounds pretty fancy and pretty cool and uh, pretty effective, but um, <laughs> she's clearly extremely good at what she does and, um, you know, we're having a little bit of, a little bit, I haven't had, I haven't had anything to do with her. I'd, I'd actually like to, um, you know, potentially get involved in that space a little bit whether it become whether it's a mindfulness piece or whatever it is but just that that mental side of sport and um if you can yeah try and get that you know the reality is there's not huge difference between talent um and it's all a lot of it's mental and if you can get that edge mentally it you know makes a massive difference i mean you look at what richmond were able to do not oh, much yeah. change talent wise but that belief and above the shoulders changed unbelievably and yeah it's it's pretty impressive to see Oh, it's amazing, and it's amazing what those yeah. what what those people can do. And I think it makes it makes a massive difference, as you said. There's not much not much more to, to to add on to that. Like that, yeah. I think she's done and will keep doing fantastic work. I think, and yeah, it would provide some uh, pretty <laughs> pretty good content. I think too. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, with my one, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a bit selfish. Um, and go with. I don't know if I mentioned this at the beginning. I'm a Geelong fan, so. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, I'm going to go with the, the great man, Gary Abler Jr. Because um, not only was, was he a fantastic player and all that, all the awards and, and whatnot and things like that, he also went through, he went through injuries himself. Um, he went through, he, he's going through stuff um, at the moment and then um, off field and family and, and there's been so many stories that he has I'm sure he has plenty of stories about his father as well and um, there's just a lot there to, to unpack and I'm sure he could uh, um, dive into some pretty pretty fantastic stories um, yeah and stories and that you can learn about with, yeah a lot of it's unknown I suppose he's never been one that's massive in the media or speaking about things but Correct. yeah it would, be, it would be interesting I mean from growing up having everyone call your dad God and uh <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, to yeah. the player he was and I mean now what what him and um, Jordan are dealing with now with 
their son Levi to be, yeah, it'd be, it would be really interesting. I mean, something like that. You never know what sort of cards you're going to get dealt with with kids or anything. And I, I don't have kids yet, but it's something that I, you know, really looking forward to in the future. And I mean, you you just you can't plan for anything like that. And um, mm. you know, you can dealt whatever card really, um, and you've just got to deal with it. So, yeah, something. Yeah, it would be really interesting to to hear from and. You know the insights on on field and off the field would be would be amazing. That's it. You get you get plenty of li- plenty of different listeners. Uh, I would say yeah. in, in, that, in that terms. Um, yeah. But that that'll just about do us, mate. I, I really appreciate uh, you coming on and spending spending a fair bit of time chatting. The time no, no, sort of I think it's, through. I think we had to spend the time after this has been in the works for about twelve months. So I think it's uh, <laughs> I think it was definitely definitely warranted. No, that I uh, really. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. And I really appreciate um, you coming on and um, providing uh, all the knowledge and insight and, and just having a chat and um, coming on and sharing sharing everything that you've been through throughout your career and, um, and, and the advice given. So thanks again, mate, for, for jumping on the Under Pressure podcast. No worries at all. Thank you very much for having me. No worries. Now, remember to like, share and subscribe all our socials, Facebook at Under Pressure Podcast and Instagram and Twitter, Under Pressure One underscore. And be sure to subscribe to the Under Pressure Podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, Once again, thanks to Alex for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And that's, that's all we have time for. We'll see you on the next.